It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is Bonus Benson. This segment is officially completely off the rails. What are you talking about? Stuff we wish never aired. I will eat chalupas all day long. Come on, man. The Guy Benson Show. Home stretch, Monday edition. Here on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening every single weekday, 3 to 6 Eastern. If you miss any of the show, you miss a lot. We have a podcast on demand and free every day, GuyBensonShow.com. Well, on Friday night, Bill Maher was on his HBO show, Real Time, and he did one of his monologues, as he does every week. This time, focusing in on and taking aim at the cultural sort of identitarian obsessives, people who are super woke, constantly fighting over identity, real time. And he decided to devote one of his now famous monologues to taking on the identity obsessives in Hollywood. This is nothing new. We talk about wokeness and the identitarians all the time on this show. And one sort of skirmish within that broader culture war is over something that they call appropriation. And we've seen this in the context of food, where if a chef has a dish at a restaurant that comes from a different culture, especially if it's a white chef, that person is appropriating the other culture, and we've had people groveling and apologizing for that. It's just crazy. It's like the idea of sharing different cultural notions and traditions and flavors and other things into a big, happy American melting pot, that is seen as anathema. Certainly within this particular sort of strain of leftism that is so dominant in big, heavy elements of our culture, taste-making institutions, Hollywood very much being near the front of the list. And their version of appropriation these days is Big battles and fights, and this has been happening for the last couple of years, over casting decisions. If it is determined that there's not enough of a certain X group represented in a film, and we saw this, for example, we talked about Lin-Manuel Miranda getting raked over the coals because he did a whole musical that turned into a successful movie in the Heights about Washington Heights in New York City, And it was a whole movie focused on people of color and Latinos in general, but it didn't have enough people of certain skin shades to appease some of these folks. So therefore it was a problem and they came after him. That's like one little snippet of this kind of thing. Then if you have someone cast as a role and it doesn't align with their identity, in real life, the actor's identity in real life, if there's deemed to be a misalignment in a way that that is you know, unacceptable or unfair or problematic or appropriation, that's another sort of 
hot take that gets shared far and wide. And sometimes you have people declining roles or apologizing and studios doing damage control. And it just gets so silly. And Bill Maher decided to really put a finer point on all of this. Over the course of eight or nine minutes, we will not play you all of it. We don't have time. But just a couple examples of him taking his shots, I think deserved shots, at this entire mentality. Let's listen to Cut 26. Neural casting directors have to stop listening to the casting police and go back to doing their job, which is picking the best actor for the role. Now, I mention this because a lot of people lately are either apologizing for or calling on others to apologize for playing roles they call appropriation. James Franco was just chosen to play Fidel Castro, and John Leguizamo posted, no more appropriation, boycott. This up. I don't got a problem with Franco, but he ain't Latino. <clears throat> okay, but John Leguizamo is Colombian-American. He ain't a Venetian, but he played one. He ain't a French little person. Or an Italian plumber, but he played them too. Because he's an actor. Why the hell do you think people become actors? Because they want to spend their life not being who they are. Which is a pretty good dig at the very end there. And we sliced out some of the applause just to keep this moving along. But Leguizamo's Colombian. Would that be okay for a Colombian to play a Cuban? Or is it just because James Franco isn't Latino at all that he shouldn't be playing Castro? Like, what exactly are the rules here? And as Mar points out, and he put on the screen, Leguizamo's played all sorts of characters and roles featuring people of different ethnicities that don't apply to his actual heritage in real life, including Luigi the plumber in, like, a Mario movie. Is that appropriation of Italian-American culture or Italian culture? Should Leguizamo be boycotted? Because he was calling on this film to be boycotted because of it, due to the so-called appropriation. It's just exhausting. Mar continued in Cut 27. Appropriating sounds like an unforgivable sin until you remember that's what acting is. That's why acting jobs are called roles. Sean Penn won an Oscar for playing gay civil rights martyr Harvey Milk. At the time, it was considered a courageous act of solidarity for a straight male movie star to play a homosexual. Now it's the opposite. Eddie Redmayne played a transgender woman in The Danish Girl, but now calls that a mistake because many people don't have a chair at the table. Well, actually, in movies now, they do. And what does it have to do with you playing trans? Does it then work the other way? Can trans actors only play trans characters? Because that's not going to be a good deal for them. Right. I mean, think about the number of roles available there. If you're a trans actor with an opportunity to play a cisgender person in a movie, would that be appropriation? Or is there a certain hierarchy of grievance and a certain, I don't know, like totem pole of marginalization? And depending on where you fit in that scheme of things, then there are different standards for you as opposed to other people. It doesn't make any sense. I'm glad that he brought up the Sean Penn example of Harvey Milk. He also mentioned Tom Hanks. 
in the movie Philadelphia. And Tom Hanks was quoted, I guess, more recently saying, oh, well, that was then. That really wouldn't be acceptable or appropriate anymore now because we're beyond that. We moved beyond that. But as Mars said, that's actually not progress. That's regression. Can only gay actors play gay roles? Can only straight actors play straight roles? Should actors have to declare, male, female, or whatever, should they have to declare all of their identities ahead of time in order for casting directors to make decisions about what roles they're even eligible to play? And could that put people in very awkward positions where they have to reveal things themselves that are private or they don't necessarily want other people to know about and it shouldn't matter really at all in life especially in an industry where the whole point is to play and pretend that you are someone else as mar points out that is literally the definition of acting it's in the word finally this from mar cut 28 is that what diversity and inclusion look like now everybody's staying in their lane Lawrence of Arabia was gay. Peter O'Toole wasn't. I can live with that. Because he was so cool, he almost made me gay. (laughs) Emma Stone caught hell for playing a Hawaiian, Jake Gyllenhaal for playing a Persian, Gal Gadot for wanting to play Cleopatra, Johnny Depp for playing an Indian, even though he's not an actual Comanche, and spoiler alert, he also doesn't really have scissor hands. And he's not actually a drunken pirate. Okay, bad example. (laughs) So he made it entertaining. He made the point several different ways. And I think it's a good one. And I'm not saying that there's not ever a legitimate conversation or debate to have about what types of roles ought to be played by certain types of people. And if there's been a group that's been shut out of roles through all of, you know, history or whatever, and there's an opportunity for someone like, you know, a disabled person to play that role authentically, does it make sense to then cast an able-bodied person when someone else could do it just as well who's actually lived that experience? I mean, it's sort of an interesting discussion to have. But the knee-jerk offense-taking about all of it and just the bleep storm that seems to arise each time, probably has a lot of movie studios and casting directors, etc., thinking long and hard about what the mob might say based on their casting decisions. And does that sound like the best formula for successful, moving drama and entertainment? Or does that sound like yet another box-checking, wokeified exercise that makes art worse and culture less rich i know which side bill maher comes down on and as is weirdly often the case these days i agree with him at least i lean that direction for sure we are out of time for today thank you so much for listening we'll be right back here tomorrow same time and same place for the guy benson show we'll talk to you then Home stretch. Tuesday edition here on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for being here. 3 to 6 Eastern every weekday. And around the clock for free on demand on our podcast, GuyBensonShow.com. For that, 
Check me out tonight on Kennedy on the TV side, Fox Business Network with my dear friend. That's in the 7 p.m. hour Eastern time. Set your DVRs or tune in live. Well, I teased it before the break. Let's talk about emojis. Wall Street Journal headline, looking for a panic attack emoji? You may be in luck. 31 new keyboard icons are expected to arrive by mid-2023. Fans are saying they could provide much-needed representation, even and perhaps especially the moose. Okay, so they've got a few of the expected emojis that are going to be arriving in a big infographic accompanying the Wall Street Journal story. I guess this panic attack emoji is one of the traditional yellow round faces, but blurred a little bit, like the head is shaking back and forth in rapid succession, looking a little overwhelmed. So there's your panic attack emoji, which will probably be very popular, especially among younger generations, given the crippling levels of anxiety that are affecting those generations. Then you've got some new colored hearts. You've got a talk to the hand emoji with all different skin tones. People seem very excited about the moose. And it is a very grand moose. I mean, these antlers are quite impressive. I see a donkey. That could apply nicely to some of our political texting. Also a jellyfish, which very much could also apply to politics and certain politicians. I see a goose. I see a blackbird, among others. Looks like there's a Wi-Fi emoji. There's some maracas. I wonder if that has been poll tested or focus grouped with the Latinx community. You might get some woke people upset about that. An Asian fan. That's bright red. So yeah, you've got you've got some new emojis coming. Here's what the story says. Emoji 15.0, a new set of keyboard icons up for approval by the Unicode Consortium, represents a small expansion of the already extensive emoji language. Yet the response to its pending arrival has been outsized. Quote, we're getting a moose emoji. This is not a drill, one person tweeted. Finally, a pink heart, another wrote. So it's just a lot of social media responses, basically, that they're quoting. Though the new icons, which are expected by 2023, the journal reports, might seem a bit niche, some users were excited to find previously missing representation on the keyboard. And on the story goes. So I would say that I use emojis a fair amount. I don't overuse them as much as some people allegedly do. I'm not calling anyone out in my social circle, but there are some people who seem to rely more on these little icons than actual words. I know some people and some friends have like an ongoing bit where they try to only text or message back and forth using emojis exclusively. No words. I don't really have the energy for that. But I often scroll through and see what emojis I'm using most frequently. And in fact, I will ask the team to do the same thing right now. Producer Christine is on vacation, but I would imagine the panic attack emoji when it becomes available might become number one in her phone. Just given her level of anxiety as well, just generalized anxiety, which goes to show it's not only for the younger generations. It can be for the much older generations as well. 
we should make sure to clip that line and send it to her while she's on vacation. I'm sure she'll appreciate that. So I currently have near the top of my emojis, let's see, the dead emoji, the hmm, scratching your chin emoji. I've got the laughter with a single droplet of sweat emoji. And I have a cow emoji. And I also have a cocktail emoji. So those are near the top of mine. Dan, what are your most used emojis? Well, first of all, I would for sure use the panic attack emoji here and there, especially in this control room up here in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You had one of those yesterday. Um, I have my top one is that like nervous face with the wide eyes and the and the rouge cheeks. Yes. Like, whoa. Yeah. That's that's a big one I use. I have a, just a standard red heart that I use a lot. Okay. Um, and then to my girlfriend, we use a lot of the, the kiss face one, the uh, kissing the heart out of your mouth. Oh, like the, the little heart coming off yeah, the, the lips? Yeah, the little heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Adorable. Also, one of my standbys that's always, almost always in my, because it's, it's actually, they give you one, two, three, four, five times six. So there's 30 frequent emojis, at least that I have on my iPhone. And the American flag is almost without fail one of them as well. All right, Quiet Wyatt, do you use emojis or do you text in old English? No, I use emojis. In fact, I am proposing that we select a day and we only communicate through emojis when we're planning the show. Just for one day. Let's see how it how it goes. I think there could be some miscommunications on that. I don't know. I think it could be fun. I will say when, I, when I've texted with Christine in the past, and you guys have definitely been on some of these threads, there is very conveniently a carousel pony emoji and a death emoji. <laughs> and I put those back to back and I send those to Christine with some regularity because we all know what she did. We all know she, from her trip tomorrow. So perhaps we can revisit this. But Wyatt, I like the suggestion. Maybe we could do it not on a show planning text thread, but maybe one of our nonsense weekend text threads, which are less business focused, less booking focused, and more silliness. I would be I would be open to try it, and then we could discuss the results on the air. I don't dislike the idea. I do notice that you didn't answer the question, though. Okay, well, let me let me list them. The, the okay. crying, the crying, uh, laughing emoji with the tears yep. coming out. Um, the American flag emoji, very on brand. Very the, good. The um, the siren, the blinking siren for breaking news. Oh yes, like uh, like an alert. Yeah, very on brand for me as well. And then a taco, because I had tacos last night. Okay, so that's just like a recency bias taco. I would imagine you probably use the coffee emoji a fair amount, given that part of your daily consumption, right? Um, No, but I have to say hmm. the it, part of the new one is that Blackbird, and it looks very much similar to the Rook you know, logo. You're right. Now that oh. I'm see, I'm now looking at it. That is close enough. I would say you can use that as a stand-in. Yep. No, it looks pretty similar. So I'm pretty excited about that because now I could just tweet and it could just be a little little blackbird like like uh, the Rook logo. I feel like there are occasionally emojis where I'm shocked that they don't exist. Like I search for them in the search bar, and nothing comes up. And I think, how is it possible that in this the year of our Lord 2022, we still don't have fill in the blank. 
but I never remember to like write it down. So I can't actually summon an example of this. But it happens to me from time to time. Maybe I'll have to set like a little homework assignment for myself to remember to do that. And I can send my complaints along to, what do they call this thing? The Unicode Consortium. I wonder, like, who is on the governing board of emojis? Who gets to make these decisions? Are there passionate debates and then votes where we were, you know, this close to, you know, God knows what emoji, and it failed by a single vote? Is there a filibuster? Right, where just a handful or a certain percentage of the consortium can hold the whole thing up? I would actually read a deep dive. I would, into how this works, the politics and the decision-making behind Emoji Land. And because it's a consortium, does it apply to all the different platforms and devices, whether it's a phone, whether it's, you know, a tablet? Is it Apple and Android? I think so. Wyatt, you seem to have connections, or at least you should at the Wall Street Journal. Let's get a series on this. It could be Pulitzer Prize winning. I would absolutely read every word of how this comes to be. I'm less interested in the, hey, look at these, whatever, couple dozen new additions. I want to know how the additions arrive and how those calls get made and not made. All right, so you can work on that. Or we could just have Christine maybe call them relentlessly and have one of them come on the show and we could do an expose here. Ooh, that's a good booking assignment for Christine. You know, let's text her that while she's on vacation. And just to show that I'm serious, we'll do the carousel death emojis just to punctuate it. (laughs) All right, back here tomorrow for more of the Guy Benson Show where Cookie should resume her duties. Same time, same place as always. Thank you for listening. See you on Kennedy tonight on the TV side and have a wonderful evening. Home stretch on this Wednesday on the Guy Benson Show, GuyBensonShow.com podcast, always free each and every day. And we mentioned during the home stretch yesterday that producer Christine was on vacation. I couldn't really keep track of where she was this time. I think that she's taking the month of September off to go to, what was it, the Bahamas? Maybe some sort of Venetian villa. I can't really remember. Christine. Are you going to be off for the whole month of September or just three weeks? I'm not even – what are you talking about? I I do not take a ton of time off. I take the same amount of time as everybody else on this show, and I'm not going anywhere in September. I'm here with you. Well, that's a relief. Actually, I'm just, of course, joking. I'm going away this coming weekend, although I'll be on the show from abroad for a couple days next week. Then I'll be off for a, a number of shows We were just giving you a hard time because of your habit while on vacation to unplug, which is fine. It's just not something that you typically allow other people to do, including Quiet Wyatt. There was another example. What were oh you? There's a guest that we were talking about trying to get this week, and she's on vacation, and said, "Let's do it soon." And you're like, "Well, maybe she can just like I don't know, give us a break and just." quickly step away in uh, just a short phone call during her vacation. And I thought that was a very interesting, rich expectation, given the fact that Christine is very difficult to book when she's gone, whether she's on the boat or, I guess, on the golf course. This was a golf vacation you just took? 
Well, we went up to Cape Cod for uh, Bobby had a cousin who was getting married up there. So we took advantage and, you know, spent the weekend up there and then did some golfing. And then we came home and Bobby and I had a little uh, day vacation, just the two of us, because Megan is with my mother in the Hamptons. So we uh, went staycation. Go- wait, wait, hang on. Your daughter's in the Hamptons? Yeah, my aunt lives out there. So my mom takes my daughter and my niece every year for a week out there. Ooh, that's nice. I'm not sure how much, like, you know, they're doing. I don't think Judgy Joyce is the bougie kind of lady, but, you know, it's fun. They go to the beach. They go shopping, yeah, go to lunch, dinners. Yeah, that all sounds terrific. That sounds good. And then you have an opportunity to just sort of take a breath, not have the mom hat on all the time. Staycation, what did that entail? Spa type stuff or just hanging out? No, we got up, you know, took a walk. Went for breakfast, and then we went to golf. So we golfed in the afternoon, Bobby and I, and it was fun. This was a golf-heavy golf, golf heavy couple days then. Yes, I got the golf bug back at me. So now I kind of want to like join a league of some sort. I wonder if there's like a ladies who golf league. I am sure that exists. I just don't know when you would have time necessarily to do that. Maybe on weekends, but when you've got... Megan back at home. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to discourage you from this. You were talking, gosh, was it a year or two ago about taking lessons? I did. Remember yeah, I couldn't lessons... answer you some days when I was on the golf course? <laughs> I had it in airplane oh, yeah, like, mode. Yeah, like during the show or like just after the show was over, I'd like call you to talk about something. It'd be like 6.01 p.m. And you'd be like, oh, sorry, mama's on the golf course. Now, how did the lessons turn out? Are they paying dividends in your golf game? You know, I think I think they are. I think also it's just nice, you know, when I golf with my in-laws, my brother-in-law and Bobby, I get, you know, good advice. So it, I think the thing with golf, do you play at all? Not at all. Like I was going to ask you what your handicap is, oh, but no, I no. wouldn't even know what that means or what number would be good. Well, so I mean, any I- answer you'd give back to me would be totally meaningless to me. I am just not a golf person at all. I kind of like having it on in the background on silent or very low volume because it's relaxing and looks pretty, especially at Augusta. And one day I would like to go to the Masters just to have that experience and check the box, bucket list stuff. But I don't play golf. I don't follow golf. It's just not something that means much to me because it just seems like a very expensive and time-consuming pastime. And for some people, it's a great escape and they love it. And it's, you know, networking and time with friends and I get all that. That makes perfect sense. For others, it's also not just expensive, but very stressful. They get very angry. They get very frustrated. And I feel like I just don't need that in my life. Mini golf, maybe once a year. That's it. I don't know. It's not stressful to me. I mean, where else can you go at 11 a.m., do a round of nine and have, you know, some cocktails and not be judged at all by anybody? Are you saying that your golfing is really just an excuse-making vehicle for day drinking? All I'm saying is uh, we played a round of nine, and at the first three holes, I was terrible. Got myself a couple high noons, and the back end, I was doing very well. I even I, I even did a par on the sixth, so I was very excited. It's a lot of fun. Well, I'm thinking. Hang on. A couple things here. Number one, mm-hmm. at what hole do they take the keys away from you with a golf cart or it just becomes too much of a risk to yourself or others they don't they don't that's the beauty well, of see, it see that's that's terrifying and then secondly you would think that maybe it would cross your mind 
once or twice before you say out loud, plugging the direct competitor of our sponsor, Long Drink, on the air, which you just did. Actually, it's funny. Did you mean, did you mean to say that you were drinking Long Drinks Actually, on the golf course? I really do. Because okay. I actually showed you a picture up in Cape Cod. Oh, that is true. That I, is I true. actually meant to say long drinks because my sister-in-law and I had a few up in Cape Cod on the golf course. And So I had the to long say, drinks enhanced your golf performance is what you're saying. Yes. Actually, my brother-in-law did say, oh, okay, cookie, that, that's cookie, better. cookie does better when she has a little uh, booze <laughs> in her. And when we signed up for golf in Cape Cod, I had I was running late, so I pulled up behind Bobby and my brother-in-law, and I just hear a lady who had signed us up going, "Who? who's Cookie? Who's named Cookie around here? And I said, oh, that's me. <laughs> you signed up as Cookie? No, they signed me up as Cookie. Nobody up, my, Bobby's entire family only knows me as Cookie. They don't call me anything else. It's all Cookie. Huh, okay. All right, now, have you considered, because you have these schemes to get rich, have you considered focusing on your golf game and becoming a golf pro? I, I, I think that's too late for that to happen. But mm. what I was looking at when I was up in Cape Cod was houses. Because remember, I wanted to Airbnb. I wanted to buy a home. and I Buy a home and become a landlord. This yep. was one of your plans. And if I recall correctly, just for the record, was I, shall we say, skeptical of that plan? Well, I think you were definitely skeptical because you don't want mm-hmm. me anywhere near you up in Cape Cod either. Well, and I was also skeptical because you were talking about the Poconos, you were talking about buying property or properties a bunch of different places, and you were trying to narrow down where you would go. And I just thought that, you know, being a landlord is a lot of work, and the market's kind of crazy, and you don't really know how things are going to go, and interest rates are up. And I, I just I had some concerns about the plan, but you were nevertheless, I guess, checking out some real estate up in Cape Cod. And? Uh, we actually had a meeting last night with a uh, financial advisor, and he advised us to not buy especially right now also did you know when you're buying a second home when you're taking a mortgage out on not your primary residence the mortgage rates are higher we did not know that so um he just that's a different ballgame yeah i didn't i didn't know that so he really recommended us not to do that anytime soon so so you're telling me i am now not only your uncompensated unlicensed Therapist, I'm now also your uncompensated, unlicensed financial planner. Apparently, or at least financial you were right. advisor. Well, can you say that again? Apparently, you were right. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure that was crystal clear, no crosstalk on the record. Although you've been forced to say that any number of times, it's just good to sort of be building up the win streak, so to speak. All right. Well, you're back. You're here at the show until you're gone to uh, Tahiti, I guess, for most of September, I think it was. <laughs> Uh, So we're very glad to have you back for these fleeting few days where you'll be doing some work. And are you glad to be back? Do you start to itch after a while? Like, you know, there's there's guests I need to be badgering and texting and calling at all hours. And the golf course is only so fulfilling. Well, I want to let you know I did work on the golf course. I was one of those people. So I was, uh, yeah, I was tracking down some people that I felt like we hadn't had in a while. And it was just getting a little... Not cool for me. I wanted to make sure mm. we definitely got them. I was getting a little angry. Not angry, oh. but, you know. Boy, we've got an angry day-drinking cookie on the links. 
be careful. With some she's golf gonna clubs. Murder. She's going to murder some golf balls. <laughs> well, the cookie never sleeps, especially when she's on the warpath for booking. But all joking aside, we are glad to have you back, although the joking will continue, of course. Back here tomorrow on The Guy Benson Show, same time, same place. Glad to have you all along. Hope to talk to you then. Have a great night, and as always, thank you for listening. Home stretch on this Friday Eve on The Guy Benson Show. Always glad to have you here. Always honored that you listen. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast always free. So last night, let me make this as simple as possible. I'm getting a new life insurance policy. I know that's very exciting for all of you to know. And I guess to get a new policy, you have to have a physical. And you need to fill out a bunch of forms about your medical history, and they need to put you through your paces and take your vitals and all sorts of other stuff. And so in order to do this, the company sent to my home a medical technician to take care of all these tasks. So there were a bunch of questionnaires on an iPad and, you know, one question after another about my medical history and so on and so forth. And the guy's very nice. He's sort of maybe in his 50s or 60s, and his wife also works in the medical community, he was telling me. And it's awkward to be answering all these heavy questions about have you ever had cancer and all this stuff while he's making small talk. And then there's a few other things that I had to submit some samples, for example, a blood sample. That was one of the things that I had to do. And actually, he told me that my veins are bad. My veins, he said, are too thin and therefore hard to get. And so he said, I bet you some technicians who are worse at their job than I am have to jab you multiple times and you bruise. And he was giving me all these sort of pro tips about how to avoid bruising when you get your blood taken and in the future with my little tiny baby veins or whatever, how I can help them have a better chance of finding the vein. And it was not my favorite conversation. And my general approach when I'm having blood taken is to just ignore the whole thing, look away, and just wait for them to tell me it's over and put a Band-Aid on my arm and I leave. Like, I do not like it. I'm not that squeamish of a person, but... Watching needles go into my flesh is just not at the top of my list, okay? So I keep looking away, but he keeps, like, almost quizzing me. What did I just say? Here's a little mnemonic device of how you remember. And he was just trying to distract me and be helpful, and I appreciate all of that. And he did a very good job. But I was also sort of suspicious about his critique of my veins because of something else that he had just done minutes earlier. So he was taking my blood pressure. And I'm forgive me for my ignorance, but I know it's something over something, two numbers. And so he was doing the thing where they put the thing around your arm and then they squeeze, 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 and it gets tighter on your arm. And then he listens and he does a count or whatever. And just for some background info, yesterday was a slightly stressful day for me. I think my team here at the show <laughs> is aware of that. There were just a few different things that may have, for example, raised my blood pressure yesterday. I'm like, oh, right, now I have to do this, and my life insurance rates are going to be set on this thing, and my number might be elevated because I've been really annoyed today for various reasons. Not important. So I'm sitting there now worrying about my blood pressure. 
and I think to myself, I've had a stressful day. This might not go the way it normally would because I'm generally not a terribly stressed out person. Yesterday was an exception, and the timing seemed unfortunate. So he squeezes the little balloon thing, and he's sitting there counting, and he's telling me to take a breath, and I do it. And he takes the first number, and he says the first number out loud, and he says, that's not good. And I say out loud, well, I've had a really stressful day. Like, I'm already making excuses. And now I'm getting more stressed out. And he says, well, let's just get the other number. So we did it again. He said the number out loud. He filled it out on the form, and he said, yeah, that's also not good. So I'm kind of now panicking. I'm like, A, am I unhealthy in some way that I don't know, and I'm just discovering it now? Or can my blood pressure really be significantly elevated because of some of these stresses and annoyances from earlier this afternoon? And could this cost me a lot of money maybe? Maybe they look at these stats, and this is all running through my brain. And then he has a little twinkle in his eye, and here comes the dad joke. He said, I said it's not good because it's excellent. I was like, oh, my God. It was not the joke that I needed in that particular context. And then he went on telling me how great my blood pressure is. Then he was laying it on a little thick. Like, you're like a marathon runner. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> let's, let's be clear. I do like a 20 to 30-minute Peloton a day. I'm not out there running marathons. I might be in decent cardiovascular health. I'm not marathon level. So I was very relieved. He said, if you've had a stressful day and these are still your statistics, amazing. Like he's just, now he's just praising me to the hilt. But for about 30 seconds, I was led to believe that I had bad blood pressure. And he never said bad. He said not good because the punchline was going to be excellent. But it messed with me. It did. And then it reminded me of a doctor character in my favorite TV comedy of all time, Arrested Development. If you've never seen it, I strongly recommend it. Start with season one. The first three seasons are the best. Those are the original seasons. Actually, back in the day, it aired on Fox, Big Fox. So there's a doctor, Dr. Fishman, who would always deliver news in an extremely misleading, like technically accurate if you wait, but a very misleading way that was part of the joke around this character and his communication. Here's one example, cut 22. Excuse me, Mr. Bluth. We lost him. He just uh, got away from us, I'm sorry. Uh, can we go in there? If you want, not a lot to see. Maybe not for you, but for us. What the doctor meant to say was that George Sr. had escaped. Right, so he comes in saying we've lost him, and the family reacts like their patriarch has just died unexpectedly, and the lost him he got away from us was hyper-literal. This patriarch in the story is now at risk of becoming a convicted felon, and now he's run away to escape justice, but that's not what the doctor implied with what he said. So that just reminded me that here's one more example. Cut 23, Dr. Fishman doing his thing. 
Are you the blue? Dr. Wordsmith. How's my son? He's going to be all right. Oh, oh thank God. Finally, some good news There's from no this other guy. way to take that. That's a great attitude. I gotta tell you, if I was getting this news, I don't know that I'd take it this well. But you said he was all right. Yes, he's lost his left hand, so he's going to be all right. You son of a bitch! I hate this doctor! He's a very literal man. Yes. Just... That's more the way I would take the news. <laughs> yeah, your blood pressure is not good. Wait for it. Because it's excellent. All right. Thanks, Dr. Fishman. <laughs> Christine, how do you do at medical appointments? Are you just a uh, calm, cool, and collected customer at the doctor's office? Oh, 100%. I mean, I never let anything bother me. You know, you really shouldn't overreact until you find out all the facts, guy. That's what I like to say. Yeah, that definitely sounds like you. <laughs> no, I'm a mess. The minute the doctor, you know, they take your blood work, and I'm lucky my doctor does the blood work at his office, so I don't have to go anywhere else. And then, you know, you wait a couple days. Well, maybe you minute. have better veins. Maybe you have good veins, unlike me. <laughs> I never like, is this, is this guy negging? Is he negging my veins, or is he going to eventually, like three minutes from now, tell me that, just kidding, my veins are the best he's ever seen? No, no, <laughs> I guess the blood pressure he really meant was good, and my veins are little teeny tiny veins. And makes his job harder. So maybe you've got that on me, Christine. Yeah, you, you, and, your lit- you and your little baby veins. <laughs> Good callback. And a Delvey action here. Uh, no, I'm a mess. Um, my doctor, I've had the same doctor since, you know, you know when you switch over from your pediatrician to a doctor? I've had the same exact doctor. And wow, a while bless his back, heart. Yes, yes. He's very patient with me. Um, I see him a lot. And um, Well, you're a hypochondriac. Very... You're, you're like the typical like Google WebMD convinced that you're dying at all times. And the most dramatic possibility, the most outlandish, terrible outcome is the one that your brain goes straight to. This is how you operate. Correct. So, and then I also, you know, if someone has something, I think I automatically have that. So I have, he gave me, he was very nice. After my father passed away unexpectedly, he was my dad's doctor too. He gave me his number just because he knew, you know, I was not great. Um, I believe that was probably over 15 years ago. I believe he regrets that decision. And Mm. not that long ago, maybe a few, five, six years ago, he actually had a talk with me of how I can't keep calling him on his cell phone. That I have to call the office. And if it's an emergency on the weekends, please don't call his cell phone. Call the emergency number. So I don't call as much as I used to. But yeah. Well, maybe he told you like, listen, Christine, all this constant calling me and texting me at all hours. It's not good. And in your mind, you thought, maybe he means it's great. He wants more of it. That's the mentality, perhaps. We got to run. Back here tomorrow, same time, same place, 3 to 6 Eastern. It's The Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. Home stretch. Friday edition. We're almost there together. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. Free podcast every day. So I am going to head to the airport here in a matter of minutes, flying on a jet plane. I'm on the night flight. Across the Atlantic, I'll be in Europe for the next couple of weeks. We'll be doing the show, God willing, from London, Monday and Tuesday. We've done the program from the London Bureau of Fox News before, and I'm excited to host from there again. And then some other cool stuff coming up elsewhere 
And then some other cool stuff on the agenda after London that we will talk about a little bit next week. I know Christine is very eager to talk about it right now. Christine, do you have any questions about my journey to London? I'm willing to talk about that, but we've got to save some of the other stuff for next week. Well, I sure do, Guy. Do you think you'll have a spot of tea when you're over across the pond? (laughs) Okay, let's move on to our next topic here. (sighs) I should have known better. I should have known better than to have let her ask a question. And she threatened. She, in, In her defense, she threatened to do the British accent earlier. I rejected the idea, and then I just cracked the door open a little bit, and she just kicked it right down, didn't she? She's been practicing in the studio for the past, like, 15 minutes. Ugh. And the answer is, yes, I'll have some tea when I'm over there. All right. As I teased before the break, we just all together commemorated the 40th anniversary of CDs. And for people under a certain age, these are just hilariously old, like, dust collectors, basically. Wyatt is off today. Otherwise, we'd ask him about this. I think we've talked about CDs with him before. And at the early end of his childhood, he had some CDs. He's still not quite that young. But for Zoomers and kids who are in, like, college and high school now, it's just not a thing. But... If you're my age, I would say what? Probably Xers through young millennials or maybe older Zoomers. CDs was like a huge part of your music enjoyment experience growing up. And this has been a very musically oriented happy hour, actually, because we played Lola for Janice Dean in that interview. Now we're going to play some other songs coming up here because when I saw the story, it was USA Today, Happy 40th birthday to the CD. And Christine has noted this is her own note on the rundown that she put together that CDs are, in fact, younger than she is. Cookie is older than CDs. She insisted that I mention that. So this is not me poking fun at her age. I would never do such a thing, ever, ever. But we decided to go around the horn. And we talked about CDs in the past, but we had not done this, which is to reveal the first CD that we ever bought by just playing the hit song from the album. So I've admitted this before on the air. We have played this song before on the air in a similar context. I'm not ashamed. Circa 1994, I had moved back to the U.S. from overseas. This song was extremely popular. So I went out and I asked my parents and we went to Tower Records And I bought this from Real McCoy. Listen. Okay, that's just a bop. I'm sorry. I apologize for nothing. Another Night by Real McCoy is a good song. Now, they do have the weird part as a lot of songs from that genre did back in that era where the weird guy starts talking. It's not even really rap. He just speaks words with a vague accent. Maybe not a huge fan of that element of the song. But that is a good song, Christine. I hear you laughing at me. 
I talk, talk, I talk to you in the night, <laughs> in the dream of love so true. That's it. That's it. It's like he's in the room, Christine. Uh, very good. That's a good song, and I am pleased with that choice, and I'm sure some people will ridicule it. I mean, it's not like a super cool first CD to have gotten where I can be like, oh, yeah, look at this masterpiece, this classic hit, but I stand by it. All right, Christine, you're up. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what I'm about to hear. I don't know if I'll even know the song. I have a suspicion of what the first artist would be. That little Christine would go out and buy a CD, but I'm not sure if you were a fan yet of his music, so I'll see if I'm right. I think it's Phil Collins, but let's listen together. Is that the chorus of the song, the most yes. famous song on the CD? Yes. You don't know that song, Man on the Moon? It's by R.E.M. It's vaguely familiar. I've heard it before, but I would not have gotten that. I'm shocked. Like, that's a really popular song. I even love that one. What year would that have been? 92. 1992. Okay. And then when did your love for Phil Collins blossom? Was it later? So my love for Phil Collins was all already happening, but what happened was I had so many of the Phil Collins cassette tapes mm. that when I said I want, my parents bought me, you know, my first mini, remember it was like a mini stereo you got. So it had like two cassettes, yes. your CD player. A boombox. It wasn't a boombox because it had two separate speakers. I remember. Oh, I, see, to me, that's a boombox, and you can you can either have the speakers on either side of it, like clipped in, or you can take them off. That was what I remember, at least. So the boombox, I think, was um, you could travel with it, right? You could move it around. Yes. This was bigger. This you weren't moving okay. around with this. But my mom, I remember when we went to buy it for my birthday. And she said, you have enough Phil Collins. Like, is that really what the kids are listening to? Like, maybe we should (laughs) find something else. (laughs) The kids were not listening to that, but they should have been because Phil Collins is really good. And cassette tapes were what everyone had before CDs. But the CD is like they were sleek. They were cool looking. You had those disc men that became a thing. So it's a different ballgame. So R.E.M. is your first album that you bought on CD. That was my first album I bought on CD. Don't forget, we're getting into almost grunge time now. 1993, mm-hmm. 94, I remember I had some oh, this Pearl, like, Pearl Jam. Like Kennedyville. This was the era of Kennedy on MTV that you're talking about. 1,000%. My, my totally. best friend, um, who I went to Backstreet Boys with, still cannot believe that I know Kennedy. Like, that is like one of her favorite people ever. Like, she was obsessed. I mean, obsessed same. with Kennedy. I just didn't know her from her MTV days. I've only known her in Fox World, but she's got this other whole universe that is just, it's amazing to hear those stories. All right, Dan, remind me, Dan, you're roughly my age, right? Within a year or two, I think. Yes, I'm 34, so I was born in 1988. So I was a little later to the CD train Mm. than you guys. Um, We had cassettes and all that. Two years younger than I am might make my guess of yours wrong. Because if you were exactly my age, a lot of guys my age, I think their answer would be one band, one album, and that was going to be my guess for you. But 
two years is a long time in you know music, right? That things come yeah. and go, and hot songs aren't as hot anymore. So my guess was going to be Green Day, Dookie, <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong. Let's listen to what the real answer is. So that's no doubt, isn't it? Absolutely. My first crush, Gwen Stefani. She's got like that sort of punk cred as well. She's just cool. Sorry, what year was that? 1995. 95. All right. Wow, that song is older than I realized. I'm just glad that I got the band right and I did not embarrass myself and go 0 for 2 with you guys. (laughs) That is a good one. Was Green Day, Green Day was probably too much like 93, 94. I think Dookie was like 92, maybe. Fact check, Dookie was February 1st, 1994. So right perfectly, like sitting right there for me, and I went with Real McCoy, I think Real Doubt is a very strong contribution to this, Dan, so congratulations. No doubt, sorry, yeah. Okay, well, it was better than trying to do a British accent. I'll give you that. Uh, And we got to go. I got to catch my flight. Over to the U.K., Christine will be staying very much here in the United States of America. No more accents, Christine. You can ask me more questions on Monday. Doing the show from the Fox News London Bureau. I'm really looking forward to that. Have a great weekend out there. Enjoy Bonus Benson. We'll talk to you next week on The Guy Benson Show. Cheerio. That was this week's edition of Bonus Benson. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.